Welcome to the Startup Grind Podcast. Starting a company is not for the faint of heart. They're always questioning, 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 tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. Where we talk to entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and thought leaders about how to build a great company. Like my friends, like you think you're crazy. I think you got to be a little nuts. And change the world in the process. We optimize for impact instead of profit. It's never been a more exciting time to be an entrepreneur. From Startup Grind chapters across the globe. The chapter director for Cape Town. Boise, Idaho. London. Mala, Palestine. Guangzhou, China. And delivered to you every Monday and Wednesday. It's a Startup Grind. Hey there and welcome to Monday's episode of the Startup Grind podcast. Today we have a conversation with Owen McCabe, co-founder and CEO of one of the world's largest customer engagement platforms, Intercom. Owen previously founded an award-winning software design consultancy called Contrast and co-founded Exceptional, a developer tool startup acquired in 2011 by Rackspace. He moved from Ireland to San Francisco that same year to start Intercom. Intercom has really become a fundamentally new way for internet businesses to communicate with customers, personally and at scale. The company has raised $116 million from 500 startups, Bessemer Ventures, Iconic Capital, Biz Stone, and several more individual and institutional investors. Intercom now has over 10,000 happy paying customers around the world, including Startup Grind. Let's listen in to Owen McCabe, the co-founder and CEO of Intercom, interviewed by yours truly in San Francisco earlier this month. Owen, thanks for being here. You're very welcome. It is Owen, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it's spelled a bit differently. Yes. It was... Uh Specifically designed to stay in Ireland, I think. <laughs> it's uh, spelled E-O-G-H-A-M. Right. Oh. But now you are, you're half in SF. Yes. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get to more of that later. Um, do you want to introduce yourself as anything different than the co-founder and CEO of Intercom? No, that, does, that does just fine. Yeah, I'm a co-founder. I've uh, three other great founders. Okay. Um, and um, we started four and a half years ago, and I'm the CEO today. Awesome. Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's, let's talk a little bit about how Owen McCabe became Owen McCabe. How did you sort of get first interested in computer science and in entrepreneurship? Where did you grow up? What did your parents do? Did you have any initial entrepreneurial sort of like any, any tinges of, did you have a lemonade stand over in Ireland? Or? Okay, so uh, the wonderful thing about being a human is that uh, uh, I think life is a journey of trying to, figure out who the hell we are, and uh, 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 to that end, uh, where the hell we came from, and what made me m made us who we are, and so I can't possibly possibly tell you um, the formula that made Owen McKay, but um, I can tell you a couple of stories that uh, I think um, are a little part of my story, and they're uh, uh, only interesting to me, but hopefully one or two of them might be interesting to somebody else too. Um, so I guess one of the stories I tell was just my own fascination with a couple of TV shows that... Um, were around at the time, and I've told this story to uh, folks in the U.S., and they, it draws complete blanks, but I don't have any other good stories, so I'm going to continue to tell it. Um, so I grew up in Dublin, Ireland. I moved here in 2011, and uh, one of the things, um, one of the shows I used to watch when I was small was called uh, Beyond 2000, Blank Stairs, and then uh, another was called uh, Tomorrow's World, Blank Stairs, and uh, one of them was a, uh, a, uh, an Australian show, another was like a U.K. show, um, but they both were about the fabulous future that they thought or hoped we might live in, um, or at least that they thought it would make uh, an interesting TV show. And it was back when people thought the future looked like flying cars or um, you would get all your nutrition from some little pill that would create a taste of pizza or whatever they thought Soylent. comprised Soylent. So one of them came true. Um, uh, 
and we don't have to talk about the fact that I also am trying Swollent at the moment, and I don't recommend it. Um, so, um, but it was back when the future was like very bright and fucking exciting, and like futuristic, right? And the future, I don't think we think is as futuristic anymore for whatever reason, but that's another conversation. But watching those things, it just filled me with absolute wonder. Like, um, I guess I was always a little bit of an imaginative kid, and I used to invent stories and games at my like sisters and my friends on the street um, but it just really filled me with wonder and it got me excited just about technology in general and I think that uh, those that those experiences are one of the reasons that um, I got excited for technology for the sake of technology which people in the valley don't like to admit here it's really really important that you have a mission and a vision and we have those things it's very important that you want to change the world and we want to change the world um, but it's not cool to admit that you think technology is really cool and exciting and you want to build things that uh, are just interesting from a geeky perspective and um, you know I got really into technology uh, and science uh, and, and the idea of a better future just because I thought it was fucking cool and, um, and it's disappointing when um, people um, uh, are you know reticent to recognize just how cool technology can be. It's okay for it to be cool for the sake of cool. Sweet. Okay, so you're taking that love of technology that's that's just awesome. You're studying computer science at Trinity College, and at college you meet, do you meet Des, your, one of your original co-founders at college, or shortly thereafter? I do not. This is not how people usually speak. It's pretty interesting. Okay, so when did you meet Des? Okay, so um, we make a technology that makes it easier to communicate with your customers, and it's uh, more natural than this. Right, 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 right. Thank you. A little chance for a plug. Um, so I did not meet Des at college, but um, that was a good guess because it's as good as any guess. Um, I went to college to study computer science. Um, a lot of my friends and peers did not know that they necessarily wanted to study computer science, um, but um, people were making a ton of money at the time that we all started. And pretty much at the time that we all started, the dot-com bubble burst, and people really regretted studying computer science. And it kind of like uh, separated those uh, 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 of us who thought they were going to make a bunch of money, and they left and went elsewhere, and then those who were excited about technology, and they stayed there. Um, and um, through, tech, through, through computer science, which I thought was a pretty amazing experience. I went to Trinity in Dublin, and uh, Trinity College has one of the oldest uh, uh, computer science schools in the world. It was one of the first, and so um, unlike a lot of wonderful courses that are out there, instead of learning practical skills that you might bring to the world and uh, find a career with, they taught us about math. So it was like a little trick for people who thought that computers weren't going to be interested. You learn on your first day when you're already completely committed that it's just a math course. But um, it was actually a bunch of fun. Uh, all through college, I was consulting, making websites for um, pe people I can now describe as having startups. Um, but, uh, you know, I tried my best. And um, uh, it was uh, uh, kind of the start of my career in escaping having a boss. The kind of like cute and funny little story I tell about the idea of getting into consulting to not have a boss is that 
and I've, there's a ton of folks who have started uh, software companies for this, you know, in the, with this exact story. You get into consulting to not have a boss selling hours of your time is the only way that you can make money so quickly. And the uh, cruel joke is you end up with not one boss, but 10 bosses, uh, 10 clients. Um, I met Des um, after college. I started a um, consulting company called Contrast. It was so named um, uh, uh, to be different. I uh, still very much had some sort of chip in my shoulder, wanted to prove that we were smarter and better than everyone else. I still have some degree of that, but it's been knocked uh, off year after year that I get older. But that was when I met Des, and Des was also another angry person in the industry, writing a bunch of blog posts about how everyone was wrong. That was kind of how I made, made my name. And uh, um, sometimes opposites attract, but sometimes people who both think that the world could be better are attracted to each other, and we uh, started to spend time together. Um, and he joined Contrast about that time, 2008. Okay, so you, you're, you're doing Contrast, you're consulting, you met Des, and at Contrast, you worked on a couple of products that had raised, I think, tens of millions of dollars. I think one got acquired. And so you're just out of college. You're, you know, your knowledge is helping these companies get acquired, raise tens of millions of dollars. How did seeing those projects sort of succeed wildly, how did that affect your motivation to then go on and start your own venture, which was exceptional? And I think that exceptional was, was solving a, a problem that you had had at Contrast, or at least that your clients had, I mean, did, did seeing those projects sort of skyrocket, did that, did that sort of motivate you to, to start Exceptional, or was it something else that sort of motivated you from go to consultant to, to founder? Um, something else. Okay. Um, so um, I always say to folks, because there's now lots of young, angry kids with chips on their shoulder also getting into consulting, that um, you, I say one of two things. One, you're going to hate it, and they hate it. Um, it takes a very specific skill set to be good at consulting. It's just, it's hard. Uh, uh, but two, that you're going to learn a lot. And it's one of the few um, kind of professions or endeavors or careers where you get to be exposed to so many different types of ways of working and different cultures and different markets uh, yet are um, liable for none of the risk, none of the downside. Um, and so it's a, it really is a wonderful uh, le learning opportunity. And, and so we did see startups that raised tens of millions of dollars, uh, but we very much learned from that. And the motivation never came from the idea that we too could raise tens of millions of dollars um, or that we too could be acquired. That was never, ever, ever, ever the motivation. In fact, what had us build a bunch of... Um, a bunch of different apps and products was the same thing that got us into consulting in the first place, which was um, some degree of uh, independence. Um, we wanted to be masters of our own destiny. We did not want to be beholden to a bunch of clients. It's a whole bunch of very personal, emo, angry little things. Um, and um, again, you'll find those motivations in all sorts of um, company founders, but they just don't admit it, uh, yeah. perhaps, as readily. Uh, and maybe they're right to not do so. But um, uh, yeah, we just wanted to get out of that consulting business, but we continue to be passionate about our craft. And, and one of the things that we maintained through our uh, through running Contrast was a passion for technology. Yeah. And we liked to truly invent and innovate. And the damn company was, like I said, called Contrast because we wanted to do things different. We abhorred the idea of 
uh, Me Too endeavors, people who would copy others. Um, I thought and continue to think that like the technology industry and just an opportunity to build software or any type of technology is just a cool opportunity to contribute to the fucking progress of the human race. Yeah. Like it's exciting. And so, so we were excited about technology, excited to solve problems, excited to like uh, seek some degree of independence. So we worked on a bunch of different products. Cool. Um, and and uh, so in terms of helping the human race move forward, is that where Quitter came in? No. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> tell me, tell me where that. Dynamic where you tell me <laughs> the opposite of <laughs> right. The truth. Exactly. If we can keep that going, that'll be cool. Um, the uh, there was a bunch of different things that we uh, built. Some were um, substantially uh, more important than <laughs> others, and some were uh, a total drain on uh, our attention and our time, and probably increased uh, unhappiness in the whole world. And Quitter was one of those things. So. Uh, what happened was, I came here like for a brief period of time in 2007, um, and I'll leave out all sorts of parts of this story, but uh, Twitter was just taken off. The main person who was m mailing users of Twitter to announce new features or whatever was uh, one of the founders, Biz Stone. Um, I just replied to one of the damn emails and said, hey, I'm here with a bunch of Irish folks. We'd love to buy you a Guinness. He said yes. Hours later, we're hanging out with like the, all the early team of Twitter. And um, that was that was like a crazy little Silicon Valley experience, which like was a little 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 hint of uh, magical things to come. At least for me, people's generosity and openness here is uh, you don't find that anywhere else. But I remember specifically uh, coming out of that. It was a like Gordon Beerish of, of all places, um, which is now closed on the on, on down uh, at the water. Coming out of there, a little tipsy, saying. This Twitter thing's gonna be big, you know. They're like they're onto something, and uh, and 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 I said like let's build a Twitter app, uh, let's build something for Twitter. And the main kind of experience, there was two main ways in which you use Twitter. One was go to Twitter.com, and another was the email you got to say that someone followed you. And like back in those early days, like the net, like the kind of like general like group of people who used Twitter was small enough such that it was rare. And they were usually industry insiders and early adopters and people you knew. And that was kind of a core part of the experience. You get this email. And so I realized, hey, um, like, yes, it's exciting to get an email when someone follows you. Okay. Wouldn't it be something? I don't know if exciting was the word to get an email when someone unfollows you. And um, it, it, was a, it was kind of like... Uh, you know, I watched this amazing TED talk before about genius and the idea of like genius is, uh, you know, that this particular person puts forward is that it's something that comes over you as opposed to something that you are. And so I'm happy to say that that was a moment of genius where I was like, everyone's going to use this. So we made Quitter. We spent all of like four hours on it, launched it on a Wednesday. It fell over and crashed on a Thursday, got it back online that uh, afternoon. And on Friday, there was a Wall Street Journal piece called OMG, my BF. Well, no, OMG, we're not BFFs anymore. And it was about uh, the meaning of relationships in the social age. And this for like a bunch of bumpkin Irish kids in Dublin was like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, what's Dude. happening? So that was an interesting experience, but created negative value in the world. Uh, uh, for every <laughs> one piece that explored the idea of relationships in the social age, there was 10 saying, quitter is bad and it must die. And there was like that was like that came out pretty much the same day as the Wall Street Journal piece. There was a there was a TechCrunch piece with exactly that title, and it was like from a bunch of reputable people, and it hurt. Jennifer yeah. from Intercom Smiling, who she just joined, and I only just realized that we actually worked on Quitter. So that was like oh, a weird thing that I don't welcome, usually Jen. talk. I don't usually talk too much about, but um, that was uh, not one of the ways in which you contributed to technology. 
Okay, so let's go into how you did contribute. You're working at Exceptional. You developed some tools for developers. I think it was bug tracking, error tracking. And you develop a need, uh, or you just you, you have some issues communicating with your customers. You find that there's not a good situ there's not a good tool out there, or the tools are too segmented. There's too many of them. Like, what was I mean? In in your own words, what was the what was the need that you were trying to fill? Because you tested the original idea of Intercom with Exceptional in a way. And so, what was like? What was the moment when you're like, wow, we this is this is broken. We gotta we gotta try to fix this in some way. You're supposed to make a guess. That's wrong. And that's uh, I'm off the theme. Fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. So um, the story I tell around that is, um, I guess. You can tell a different one. If, if it's no, I think it's a good one, actually. Okay. Um, it's, uh, for me, it's kind of like a little, uh, it's one of those like little examples that um, if you're kind of an idea person or a synthesizer, you know, like I think people, you know, you know, I think people who like are like creative or intellectually, uh, um, I think who have an active brain, they'll fall along one end of a scale where it's either analytical, so you can look at ideas and break them apart and break them down and like turn it around and kind of uh, understand what it's comprised of, or they are synthesizers who can like look at a bunch of ideas and put them together. Uh, and I think people who create things and creative people are often synthesizers. And so, if for people who feel like they've got like that synth synthesizing strength, if that's a phrase that we can use, um, this little idea will, this little thing I'll share, like will definitely resonate with them. So we made this thing um, for exceptional, and exceptional, by the way, was the first of what was to become a fantastically uninteresting product category called error tracking. Absolutely the first. You install in your app. When a bug occurred, it would notify the developer. Super boring. But um, it was successful to some degree. We made this thing um, that uh, we call just simply notifications. We, as contrast, like, like I said, like to do a bunch of things differently. And we thought we were inventors and innovators and whatnot. And I, and, and I, I think that we are. But uh, one of the things in which we did differently was that we had like the, you know, we didn't have like we had an interface that didn't look like a traditional web application. Web applications at the time were like websites that just did a bunch of work, and so that they had headers and logos in the top left and whatnot. And we we're like, forget that. This is a real piece of software. We're going to make a real interface. It's not going to have a header and a logo and, 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 and all these very conventional things. And actually, that's kind of where, that's where web applications went. But um, we had like a little stamp with the logo, which was a star in the bottom right-hand corner of the page, the interface. And this notifications thing we built, you could log into the back end of Exceptional, paste in a little message or some HTML, and hit save. And this little star would like pop up with a little bubble in the bottom right. And it was kind of amazing because non-technical people or anyone in the company or even technical people who didn't want to develop a new thing every time they wanted to communicate with their customers could go in and speak directly to folks. And with a message that bypassed you know, email and spoke to people directly in the context of this application. It was amazing. So we like published blog posts or like shared feature announcements or spoke about downtime, etc. This little bubble in exceptional. Anyway, the one thing, there's one little story, which is not fantastically interesting story, but again for people who I think are synthesizers and creative people, was um, you know I was speaking to one of my co-founders and I said this notifications thing is cool. 
um, it could actually be a product. And we went, ha, 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 ha. And when the silence died, we were like. And like that little magical moment, like honestly for people who do value themselves as like creatives or who do think that they can come up with valuable ideas, like that little moment, this thing in there, that pattern matching or that, you know, probably release some sort of endorphins or something, that's an interesting study to be done. That's the magic of, like for me as a kid who watched the shows that you've never heard of before, yeah. who like wanted to be an inventor, you live for those little moments where you're like, fuck. Spark. Yeah. The spark. The eureka moment. Yeah. Sometimes it's ways to make people really unhappy when their ex-boyfriends unfollow them on Twitter. Right. But sometimes <laughs> it's a whole new product that might be successful. Okay. And so you go from that aha moment to, you know, you're, you're our, I, you, were you the CEO of Exceptional? Or? Yes. So yeah. I was the CEO of like Contrast and then yeah. Exceptional. Yep. So and Exceptional had been running for a, a couple years. Four years. Before you year. had this idea. Yeah. So... I think for founders that maybe are, are thinking of pivoting or, or for founders that are maybe working on multiple ideas, how did you take that aha moment and then translate it into selling to Rackspace, moving full time into Intercom, which you posted on Twitter in 2012. You said, we're just, we're done with exceptional. We're moving on to Intercom. How did you, like, how did you know that it was, that that was the right decision? Um, th so the, um, if you were to, so I understand why the question is asked that way because if you were to like if we were to like write a timeline right. of own story, yeah, we'd like draw one linear straight line. Right, that's how we understand time, and then we'd like put little lines on it, clear we're, moments. We're human, you know, and it's like no, totally, yeah. absolutely, and that's this is the way we think about it. And, and at one point, it would say, like, you know, launches intercom, right, or you know, you know. Starts intercom, it, like it's one finite thing. So what happened between the aha moment and the start? So intercom? really, like honestly, the the you know the story and the sto it's just the same story for anyone that works on any project or any real thing. It's just like progressive commitment. It's like, you know, it's like success by a thousand cuts almost, or it's like, it's like um, focused by a, you know a, a thousand teeny tiny commitments. It like starts with one thing where you're like, wouldn't this be interesting to work on? And you like tease it out a little more, and then you write it you scribble on the back of an envelope and then you email someone and they email you back and then you meet on a Saturday and you meet on another Saturday and you write some code and you design a thing and you redesign a thing and you show it to someone else and this goes on and on and on and on and on for literally thousands of days and then you end up talking to someone at Startup Grind. <laughs> so like there, 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 you know, there's no one, there's no like moment that like it, it's like I would, you know, of course I want to tell this heroic moment where we're like, right. We're gonna do this, and everyone's like, "Yeah, high do five." It. That doesn't happen. It's just not the oh, way it works, and everyone knows it's not the way it works. However, there's another way to look at this, which is like the, I think what was underneath the question, which is like, how do you know like this is what you're gonna focus on? And like for me, I know at least the way my brain works is that I there's like finite space there, such that like stuff just leaking out all the time. I'm gonna forget about like unanswered emails from Iron and just stuff I'm never gonna get to and forget about and I'll die having forgot about. I'll be on my deathbed and be like, shh. But um, if, that, if, that, if you respect that's how your brain works, that it's like limited, you're like super limited, please don't, please don't spread that headspace thin. And yeah. so I always, 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 like, I feel like early on was committed to like one thing. You know, like pick a thing. Like, Pick a lane, you know, pick, pick a fight, 
pick something, pick a thing. By all means, like quit when it doesn't work, um, but don't try and hedge. Great people don't hedge, great artists don't hedge, um, humans don't hedge. Then, you know, people who try to be multiple things, that's always a disaster. Yeah. You know, you could do five things terribly, you do two things spread in half, pick a thing. By all means, like quit it early, quit it a day after, that's okay too, but pick a thing. So like, is, there's no like aha moment, we're gonna focus on this, but um, if, uh, you know, I promise that if you like focus one thing at a time and absorb it and work through it, and feel it, and hate it, then you'll kind of like, you'll get through it way faster. Put another way, I bet it takes at least five times longer to figure out whether an idea is gonna work or not if you do five times, five ideas, right? Right. I think. Okay. Start to work on Intercom full-time. Now, had you sold, you, had you sold Exceptional at this point? Yeah. During, okay. And so did the, did the funds from Exceptional help you to start bootstrapping intercom yeah so we kind of you know we you know to you know to the degree that we've always like done one thing at a time um we had like given up on exceptional long before it was kind of off our hands right. so we were kind of like working on the intercom id in the background tossing around in our heads and, and whatnot um but it wasn't until um we had actually sold it that we I guess could go completely full in on it. And yes, we used the funds from the last thing to pretty much fund the first year of Intercom. The first year, okay. And so you then, I think in 2011, 2012, went out to raise a seed for Intercom. Right. So I went out at the end of uh, 2011, the first year uh, of Intercom, like before we actually closed around at the very end of 2011, was kind of that first year that we funded it. Uh, raised that round at the end of 2011 and announced it early 2012. Okay, and so for, for people thinking about when is the best time to go out to look for that round, I think you know, you, you, you'd spend a year working on Intercom or building Intercom. Had you had, did you have a full product? Did you have traction? Did you have customers at the point of going to get that first seed round? And if you didn't or if you did, what would you recommend to founders to always try to get under their belts before going to look for that seed to, to sort of have the most favorable terms. Yep. Um, so the you know the, the the first thing I'll say before before I even get into that is that there are infinite ways to skin this technology cat. Like there's just no correct way. There's no right or wrong. Um, every new company invents their own path to success. That's why that's what's so exciting about technology. It's like an industry of like new things and opportunities, always new opportunities just presenting themselves and exposing themselves, whether it's like the messenger platform that can launch yesterday. I mean like brand new opportunities, one day new opportunities. So there's like constantly new opportunities. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> so when you went to raise, had you had Intercom already yes. acquired customers? Thank you. Yeah. I got a little excited. So um, yes, it had. We had customers. We had a product. We really had something to point at. We had value that we were delivering. Um, and that really benefited us. And for sure, um, it, was, um, it took us a good four or five months. It took me a good four or five months to like, even raise 500K, even after we had like hundreds, if not thousands of people using the product. It was like live and clearly a thing and people loved it and were tweeting about it and all that kind of good stuff. Um, and so that was very important to us. Like I said, there's nothing impossible and it would have been 
wholly possible for me to raise 500K, if not 5 million, without building a product, but it might have taken five years to do it. Um, and so, like, it, you know, it all depends on, you know, I guess the position from where you're coming. Like, if, if, you know, if you're the type of person who has gone and raised a bunch of money and deployed it in clearly valuable ways and built uh, a team uh, and it's been validated and, it, you know, uh, you've, such that you've got an incredible amount of revenue and revenue growth and you've gone public, you know, like, all these degrees of uh, validation and success um, are going to make it easier for to raise money again. Right, yeah. but if you're starting from the start, it's frankly going to be straight up tough to like raise money before you've built something. Yeah. And now more than ever before, um, at least if you're in software, but honestly, even if you're in like building for consumers, just the markets are so damn big. You know, myself and Des, when we talk about you know uh, ex our exceptional days, um, you know, it barely kind of like covered our costs back then when you know when it was running. Um, yet we're pretty certain that if we like you know, run it today, it would be like extraordinarily profitable and we'd never have to raise for it. And there's companies doing the, you know, in the error tracking product category who are raising like series A rounds right now. Just yeah. the market for software and technology in general is just so much bigger, so much bigger. And we get to see it with Intercom because we sell to a range of different small internet businesses. Only half of our customers are in the United States. The rest of them are all over Europe. India and China and you know Eastern Europe and then a bunch of cities that don't like sh show up when people talk about tech like Paris is like really really big for for early stage tech like even when we did exceptional which is still only you know we sold it like you know five years ago all all those markets didn't exist all those cities like from Dublin to Paris to you know all over in India and China like those markets for like technologies. Uh, even even if they're consumer markets, never mind you know B two B markets, they just didn't even exist. And so now more than ever before, the kind of bar is higher. If you come to an investor to say, "Hey, we've built something of value," it's a it's it's substantially less excusable that you don't have revenue if you're it, like if not that you're not profitable. And it's not that I think that it's magical to be profitable or anything like that, but it's just easier than ever before. The market is bigger. Uh, and so, the, you know, the truth is, if you know, if you haven't started a company before and been successful at raise a bunch of money, um, it's going to be damn hard without customers and a product. Yeah. And so in, in terms of thinking about raising and, and you said you went out and raised that 500K, I, I think, it, are there people in, in the audience that are looking to raise, raise around? Okay, so um, your seed your seed round had about I think seventeen different investors. I think there were a couple of funds or institutional investors, but majority were from individuals. Yep. Uh, I think there were some Irish founders and some other some other founders in that. Uh, I think Biz from from the from the Quitter interaction came on board. Um, so for for the founders, I mean, how was it? What was that process like? Were, were you slogging through each individual? Was it, you know, did, did someone come in unexpectedly? I think, I think you have a Tokyo-based firm, Digital Garage, in there that, that's interesting. Um, you know, what was just that? And then I think all subsequent rounds were very led by institutional, Bessemer, Social Capital, Iconic. But, but that first round seems to be really unique for, for you as a company. And I think it'd be interesting to sort of hear about how, how that sort of got filled. A quick break from my conversation with Owen for some recent startup headlines. Facebook surveys have verified users about the potential options for earning money with their personal accounts. The possibilities include a tip jar, a sponsorship marketplace that matches users with marketers, branded content, revenue sharing, and a call to action button for purchases. Dental Services comparison startup Brighter 
has raised $21 million in his Series D round, led by General Catalyst. Brighter allows patients to compare dentists by price and reputation. They also take insurance plans into account so each user can see which practices can provide the best value. Brighter has raised $49 million to date. Ridesharing platform Cabify has raised $120 million in his Series C round led by Rakuten. This most recent round of funding values the company at $320 million. Cabify is set to expand in Latin America and beyond. Let's get back to my conversation with Owen McCabe. Yep. So, um, you know, I was uh, substantially more of a nobody than I am today. <laughs> I was like... Well, now, you, now you're the it guy, you know, your startup right guy. Right now. Yeah. Um, so that'll help my next seed round. But um, <laughs> back then, had never raised money, had no connections here whatsoever. Um, we had a product, but it was a pretty weird product. Like, what's it trying to be? You're trying to be everything. Who's your competitors? Mm. It's like, I'm sorry, son, you're an idiot. Yeah, like, you're, it was like, it was like a bad idea. It was a your slide deck, which you recently tweeted out, I think has about like five columns of competitors. It's like it. literally like just a and collection like of startups. And it's like Zendesk, Mailchimp, you know, yeah. Salesforce. Absolutely, like. and, I, and and you know, the, you know, the truth is that if you are going to define a product category and all breakout successes, all big technology companies are big because they defined their own category and therefore owned that position and created that opportunity. If you are gonna define your category, by definition, nothing like it exists before. So it's gonna be very hard. Put another way, if you're a nobody, like I was, and you can raise real easy for your idea, it's a little bit too obvious. You know you got something. You know you got something bad. If it's too easy, it's too obvious. Like, it's very obvious to build like, oh, let's just build like a faster help desk or a mobile help desk or this help desk is going to work on uh, Facebook or, uh, you know, like the me too things are so obvious. They're like too easy to bet on and they're way easier to raise seed rounds for. The breakout pro companies, if you're going to define a product category, they're going to be phenomenally difficult to explain. So you kind of like choose your battles. If you'd like to build a me too thing, if you'd like to jump in beside a whole bunch of other competitors and like, you know, battle for scraps and happily sit alongside them and have a substantially reduced opportunity, go for it. Your life will be easier. If you would like to build a truly transformative, once in a generation, very, 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 very large and impactful technology company, your life's going to be really, really difficult when you're raising. And, and, and certainly that's the excuse that I, I'm going to give you today. It was super hard. And, you know, the, you know I met all sorts of institutions that didn't make sense. Um, I also didn't know how the game works, and any industry like um, has a game or has, you know, certain etiquette. You know, I found it as hard to enter the valley as apparently Kanye found it as hard to enter fashion, right? Yeah. Like, how does this work? Like, you know, they won't let me win. Like, it's yeah. like, um, you know, there, there's etiquette in all these things. I couldn't start to tell you how like professional ballet works or coffee right. or startup events, right? There's certain ways that people work, there's certain costs involved and there's certain relationships that you're gonna have to work with, etc. So part of the challenge was like simply learning how it, it worked. So, you know, simply being here, anyone who's already here is like, 
ahead of the rest of the world almost. Like technology is still so teeny tiny. And as much as it has become kind of like globally democratized where you do see, you know, Paris, for example, becoming really big and relevant in tech, you know, it's still so small such that this is still, you know, the epicenter. Uh, so people who are already here, all these people who are here today are like kind of ahead of the pack in that respect. But like learning how it all works is the first step. And I have to learn how, how, how it worked. Um, and then just like understanding how investors think, and I didn't, I, I didn't understand that either. So for sure, the reason we have, I don't know if it's 17, something of that order, the reason we have this like long list collection of like random investors is because no one would invest in us. And so I really did have to scrape together that, that, that cash. The funny story goes that you were kind of hinting at was that like I kind of, uh, you know, if there was an aha moment, uh, it was kind of when it was, there was, you know, four co-founders all from Dublin. You know, on one fateful day, I said, I'm going to America, lads. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go out and, like, raise a seed round. And, like, you know, I, like, waved a, waved a hanky on the ferry. Never to see you again. Like, Des. <laughs> like, um, and uh, and I, I said, like, I'm going to raise a million dollars. And, like, came back cap in hand with, like, half a million dollars from like a real random selection of folks that no one had ever heard of before. Thank you, seed investors. We've made, made your money back many hundred times over. But um, uh, we got back and I was ready to like kind of apologize to, the, to, 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 to my co-founders that um, you know, all my confidence didn't actually equate to much and uh, got an email like that day from basically investors I'd never heard of before and they said, hey, um, we heard you're around it. You're, we heard you're raising this round. Do you have time for a call? Does now suit? I was like, yes, sure. Kind of got on the call. I'm certainly like skipping a, f a couple steps, but they basically said, would you like 500K? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, got off the call. And by the time I got to talk to the rest of the founders, I was like, I did it. <laughs> 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 from, the, from, the, from the plane, you know, to the, okay. Yeah, That's amazing. That's what an emotional roller coaster looks like. Now, you had considerable more success raising rounds after that. You had, I think, uh, you had an A round that had 500 startups, and I think you had social capital in there as well from Mamoon. Um, and then you had Bessemer Ventures and, and, I, and a B, and then I Iconic came out on the C, which you first raised uh, in August of last year when you had about 78,000 customers. And then last week, you announced on the blog that you had raised uh, a sort of a follow-on Series C at $50 million, uh, that you would now be fully, fu fully funded, $116 million total, uh, hitting over 500 million end users with 10,000 paying customers. That was super impressive. <laughs> I don't even see that in his notes, but go on. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. So um, now that's from, that's from that initial product on, on Exceptional. You now have, I think, four s sort of modules within the product. Um, wh where is, well, let's just sort of talk about, about Intercom. I mean, you set out to make it just easier to communicate with customers, and then that, mo that morphed into marketing and, and into some sales and leads. And so just talk a little bit about where, where Intercom's at, you know, sort of right now, what the, the journey of it, uh, getting to where you're at, um, and, and maybe a little bit about that, that last round of funding and sort of what, what the future looks like with that round of funding. Okay, there's a lot there. Um, you got this. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, thank you. Um, so where are we at today? You know, you 
pretty much summarized it pretty well. Over 10,000 paying customers, 250 people in the company, growing pretty damn quickly. We were at 88 people at the start of last year, 250 today. We'll be about 500 in about a year. Um, and um, so it's very much in, you know, a, you know, a, gro a growth phase. Um, let me jump around kind of like a little short history of like what we've been doing and, and, and you, know, what, you know, what we are now and what, what comes next. And then I will talk about this round and how, how, it, how it looks different, you know, kind of a growth stage. So, you know, Intercom kind of started from two places. One was from a, from a technology place. Built this little bubble thing. It was cool. Put it in a JavaScript thing. That was cool. Gave it to customers. They thought it was cool. And then kind of added more to it over time. The bubble turned into a little dialog boxy thing. Then the dialog box turned into something you could like reply to. Then when someone replied to it, you needed an inbox. Then when you wanted to actually choose who you were going to send messages to, you kind of like needed some place to start. You needed a list, and the list happened. And then we like you know let you add more data, and that was kind of like custom data. And then we added filters, and then with filters it was segments, and you know it kind of like just you know one thing leads to another, and then you've got uh, this thing called intercom. So that was like the technology angle, and you know I you know I'll I'll fight anyone who says that that's a bad way to build technology. Um, you know, true technologists, product people who are like just passionate about the potential to uh, like for technology in general. I don't care what you're passionate about. We're passionate about the internet and people who build businesses on the internet, and we wanted to make it better for people like us when we run an exceptional and people like them to simply connect with their customers. So that was our passion. But the technology story is pretty straightforward. And anyone who's built a product, they know how kind of like it builds momentum. And if you're good product people, the momentum leads in the right direction. The other side, the softer side, is that we um, got to know this guy called Colin Harmon, who ran this uh, coffee store at the time called 3FE. Stands for Third Floor Espresso. The first incarnation was in his third floor apartment. The second was a pretty much across the river from us in Dublin. We walked over there every day. I don't know uh, how many people know anything about Ireland. You know 3FE, fantastic. You might also know that Dublin has shit coffee. Um, uh, or at least it did back then, it's got better. He was the first to bring hipster coffee to Ireland. Good for Colin. So we went uh, to get his coffee most days. Colin did nothing particularly special or magic, but what he did do was he was personal. Um, hey Patrick, how's your day? Would you like a cappuccino again? Like, that was it. But you do that enough times and you've got a little bit of a rapport. You've got a relationship. You've got a relationship. There's some degree of loyalty that will form. The relationship had me sending more people to Colin. I would come back more often. I would give feedback, forgive mistakes. I probably paid more. It was really tangible and valuable to his business, the fact that we had a relationship. And he did that with a whole bunch of people. Again, sorry Colin, but nothing particularly special or magical. But he was a human, and he got to be a human because he got to meet people face to face. If there was or is not value in people actually connecting, we wouldn't even be here today. Like, you know, we, we still struggle with the technologies that we have online to connect. Um, uh, but back then, the only technologies available were the help desks, the tickets, the email marketing apps, marketing automation, CRMs, and live chat, and all this clunky stuff, none of which worked together. You didn't really know who you were talking to when you were using them. 
Uh, it was a total mess. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the technology angle had us like building these things that we thought was cool. But looking at Colin, we were excited to build something that would help people better connect. And we knew that there was a human angle to that. And that's why we like stated from early on that our mission was to make internet business personal. So we kind of came at it from two angles, a pretty logical left brain approach and a uh, soft, squishy right brain approach. Uh, and if you can mix those two things together well, uh, you get uh, special things. Um, so uh, that's kind of where we came from. Uh, we built this uh, platform called Intercom. It was this big blob of features. It was cool, but it was a big blob of features. We built it for people like us. It was for people in our company. As we got bigger, we started to uh, mature it uh, so we could sell to people that were our size. As we got bigger, we got a little more complex. I say sophisticated with how we work. Teams formed. Uh, in the early days, anyone who's running a small company here the product people do the support, and they do the sales, and they do the engineering. There's a lot more sharing, but as the company gets bigger, you form specific teams. And so we evolved the product to kind of map onto those teams. And so this big blob of a thing, a collection of features called Intercom, turned into four applications on top of this thing we call the Intercom platform. And the apps were simple apps that fit into these very simple use cases, supporting customers or talking to people on your website who might be prospective customers, making announcements, onboarding people, et cetera, um, but all working on this intercom platform, which means they can share data and share workflows, et cetera, with the uh, uh, end goal and result being that everyone can be kind of on the same page about the customer and ultimately give them a far more human and personal experience. So that's like kind of where we came from and where we are today. Um, the reason you raise a round like this, a $50 million round, was led by Ilya Fushman, who ran product at Dropbox, previously he's now VC uh, from Index Ventures. Um, the reason you raise it kind of a round at this size is kind of like to maintain the momentum that you have started that's like working out so well. Like when you raise a seed round, and even when you raise a Series A round, never mind a Series B round, you're kind of like getting off the ground. You're kind of still saying like, will this work? I don't know if this will work. I hope this will work. You certainly tell the investors it will work, but um, uh, really you're wondering if it will. And um, the initial capital is to like test that hypothesis. You know, there's like a couple of ideas like, I think it actually will be valuable if we can make this way for people to personally connect. I actually think it would be cool if you could talk to them within the app. There's a couple of little hypotheses, and that uh, there's a big market out there for it, that we could kind of like attract them by doing some certain things, whether it's blogging or going to conferences or speaking at startup grind. Um, uh, you have a few assumptions, and the early kind of like money that you uh, raise is like to test those assumptions. Later on, when it turns out that you were so wonderfully right and you really figured out the world, and congratulations to you, and you're very special and well done, um, then you're kind of like trying to just finance that momentum. You know, yeah. it's like shit's working. We kind of can't stop now because it's working. Um, but we're going to need a whole lot more money. And when you really build a momentum, when you go from 88 people to 250 people to 500 people and beyond, um, that gets super expensive. And for someone who, you know, in just four years went from like a four-person company with no money to a 250-person company who just raised $50 million, it's like still shocking to me how much it costs. The like, I won't say the numbers, but the money that leaves our bank account like every month is like, like, oh, like, like millions, you know what I get millions, with all this? millions, millions, millions every month. So like just when you like build up this momentum yeah. and it's not like anyone's sitting around, like we specifically have a, cult a culture of like, you know, focus. And yeah. one of our values is every day counts. And, you know, we get in early, we work hard, we stay, we, you know, we, 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 uh, you know, we don't mess around during the day. Um, so it's not like we're like 
sticking around, frankly. We're working right. really hard, but it still takes a lot of people, uh, usually a lot of expensive people, to really maintain and build something that has momentum. Like, it's very cheap to get one engineer to, like, hack together one table that returns a bunch of rows in a database. But when you're going to present that across tons of platforms to, like, like, you know, hundreds of millions of end, with hundreds of millions of end users in the database in different parts of the world, um, uh, on mobile and on a web, um, that is going to be, uh, you, know, uh, you know, not vulnerable to a bunch of different uh, security exploits and so many other things that get super expensive. So that's kind of why you raise that, like, much bigger round. It's to, like, it's to continue the momentum that you've created when it's working. Yeah. And in, I think in, when you were talking about blogging in your early days, sort of while you were still in, still in Dublin, you hadn't come out necessarily to the, to the Bay Area yet, you had, I think, a, a slightly different view of what valuations and, and all of the big raises and big rounds were. How did, how did actually going through raising a big round and, and running a venture-backed company, how did that change your perspective of what, of what those companies that maybe you were initially you know, potentially cynical about, how did, how did you, your sort of eyes completely change to what the purpose of VC is and, and what funding is like in the Valley? Yeah, it's, part of it is kind of... Uh closing your eyes and just jumping in the deep end and see if you don't drown. Um, you know, I saw a bunch of people who were raising money and they were smart people and sh shared values with us and I was excited about what they were doing. So, you know, it wasn't all bad. That was the first thing I started to say to myself. But the, the, the other part of it was just like getting in there and trying something new. And we had built, we had bootstrapped a bunch of companies ourselves already. We had done it the other way. And we just wanted to try the, the Valley way, the VC-backed way. We just wanted to try a different way, frankly. That was all that it was. We simply wanted to try a different way. But, um, you know, the, you know the, 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 the comfort came uh, uh, over time, really. Um, I, you can't really learn about anything until you, like, straight-up experience it. There's, like, only so many core posts you can read by Jason Lemkin. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, you have to just do it yeah. at, some, at some point. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the unfortunate thing is, like, you know, the truth about anything, and in particular about venture capital and the way the valley works, the truth is not spoken at a startup grind event, although I'm trying to be as honest as I possibly can. It's not in a core post or on Twitter or in podcasts. It's mostly um, in the heads of people who are way smarter to, like, really talk about, you know, the struggle and the pain and the mistakes that people make and the you know bad motivations that people have for doing some of these things and so you really can't you really can't l learn about these things without trying it you know I think what's important is like surrounding yourself with people who have done the thing that you want to do and if it's raising money getting out there to the valley like I said earlier about like biz for example and the twitter folks um one of the most magical things about silicon valley is that people are so generous with their time they have this inert uh I guess understanding that it doesn't really work or if something's wrong by just being super selfish you know what i mean and i think also like there you know humans want to grow and develop it's um you know babies want to copy their older siblings they want to uh you know they want to grow it's like part of very much a human thing just growth and development and learning is just so so human and i think it's also human to teach you know i think you get a lot of value out of like teaching and helping like anyone who you know unless you're some sort of sociopath like you just get straight up value out of like learning and teaching 
Um, and so that's why people, I think, within any industry, but you, the only industry I know is, is, is the Valley, really, they just like love to teach. Like it's just such a, a magical place. People are so generous with their time. And so if venture, like raising a bunch of venture capital is the thing that you want to learn, put yourself amongst people who've done it, you know? Yeah. Sweet. So you mentioned that along Intercom's product timeline, you, you developed four sort of core products within Intercom. Now in, you know, in the Valley, or some people will say that to, to make a really successful you know, lean startup, you should focus on one thing and one thing only and just kill it, nail it. What would you say to, to someone that might say, you know, when you start adding features and adding product, you know, do you lose anything in your ability to be the best at that one thing, whether it's customer feedback or, or lead it, you know, lead or, or marketing automation? And, and if, if you believe that, how, how has Intercom done it differently to ensure that success? Because I know that the, the different products was part of the reason why you started it, but, but along that thesis of, of maintaining focus, how, di how did you get to that point now and keep it sort of going? And then currently, I think you said that you're spending most of the, the recent raise that you, that you funded, that you got funded on R&D, not on marketing or, or spammy tactics, as you say. So which you can do now, and you're a product-first company, um, but you know, what are you spending that R&D on? Is it developing the products now? Is it, you know, wh where, where's Intercom gonna be? Yep, so focus comes in different uh, forms, and um, you can focus on a mission and a vision, and that might require that, for example, you build many products. Right. Um, the products that Intercom has built all pertain to helping businesses talk to their customers. They all reuse the same sets of technologies. They all use like similar workflows. We sell to like the same types of companies. It's not like one product has this market and one product has some other market. Right. They're still all internet businesses. So, you know, uh, you know, you can do many things and still be incredibly focused. And our focus is on helping internet businesses connect with their customers. At some point in time, if you want to do something really, really, really big, you have to expand your uh, efforts alongside that ambition. And so uh, it's true to say that, like, you know, we're doing a lot. And one thing we've been really, really conscious of is to constantly, um, you know, scrutinize our processes, um, reinvent them. You know, as you grow and you add so many different people to, to the organization um, and so many different disciplines and you're selling to like so many different cra crazy larger amounts of customers, if not also bigger customers, you constantly need to like just re reorganize the company, reinvent these processes. And so for us to be able to like build all these different products, we've had to like build a bunch of different product teams. And for every product that we have, we have product manager and a designer and lead engineer and a bunch of engineers and we have like product marketing managers and uh, you know a bunch of other folks who support each product and then we have like a team for like each of the technologies that are shared amongst the pro products and uh, so so even if we need to like spin many plates to still focus on this one team uh, each of the plate spinners you have a dedicated plate spinner yeah. needs to only worry about their plate so like you need to be like really really thoughtful about like what's the reason you might be focused and 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 and, and what are different ways to focus. Um, in terms of like what we're gonna do today, uh, you know, to your point, we are spending a ton of money on R and D, uh, and a company usually at our stage, you know, we're you know four years in at some certain amount of revenue. If you look at 
um, other you know recently public companies who've shared kind of their data when they're like four years in and have the revenue that we have today, um, they typically spend spent spend around 30% of their revenue on, or, on, on new product development, about 30%. Consistently, you can see about 30%, give or take a little bit. Last year, we spent 85%, to your, to your point. So, and you do find that with the new generation of technology company. You know, the previous generation was pretty sales-driven. The technology itself wasn't necessarily super different. If you like look at a bunch of the categories that we compete against, like, say, marketing automation, there's like four to eight plus, plus, plus solutions, but the winners are the people with the smartest and most aggressive sales teams, perhaps. Um, whereas in this new generation of software company, people who are defining categories like a Stripe or a Slack, and I hope, I, 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 I hope Intercom, um, uh, their very definition of that product category and their super strong, unique position in, in that is the primary thing that kind of dr drives growth, at least at the early days when you're in a market that's as big as the market for software is today. Uh, and so, it, it, you know, over time, uh, the percentage of revenue that we spend on, on new product development will definitely come down as we like try and reach more and more folks outside of the, the early adopt, the pool of early adopters. Um, you're gonna have to spend more money on sales and marketing to reach them, to like get in front of them. Like they're not actively like hunting for products on sites called product hunt. Like that's not how most of the world works. But again, the uh, market for software is so damn big such that you can have over 10,000 paying customers and there's still like a lot of early adopters. Um, but what, what are we working on today? We're like still improving our current products. Um, you know, any true product people I know, uh, and I call us true product people and so we're no exception. They're super hard on themselves. They have an incredibly high bar. If you want to benefit from the phenomenal growth that we have, uh, primarily from building product, the product needs to be the best, or at least you need to fight for it to be the best. You know, one of the values that we do have is like we strive for perfection and we hold an incredibly high bar. And so for all of our products, um, we're proud of them. People generally do love them. They're snapping them up in like their thousands per month, but we still look at them and we're like, Meh. We can do better. We can do better. We can do better. We will do better. We must do better. And so like that constant drive is the very thing that makes you special in the first place. And uh, you can't continue that drive if you're not prepared to continue to invest in it. So that's mostly what we're doing. Uh, you know, invest, continuing to invest in those products. We want our products to absolutely be the best in the industry. And we have high hopes and dreams for the way in which they can be technically very advanced, if not cool, but also very, really, and genuinely be the best way for internet businesses to connect in a personal and human way with their customers. Um, but we are also building new products. Um, we're also reinventing our technologies. We have a ton of like back-end infrastructure that we're constantly reinventing to make everything faster and smoother. Um, but we have a couple of big things that we've been investing in aggressively. There's like a couple dozen people who've been working on them for many months, and we'll announce a few things this year. Awesome. How many people here are current Intercom customers? Sweet. So then uh, well, I think this will be a great place for you to get some product feedback and product roadmap from your users. Uh, and with that, let's give it up for Owen McCabe.